Welcome to Beyond Bitcoin, a podcast about all things digital assets, the global communities they are creating, the generations that are using and investing in them, and the challenges faced by the nations that are seeking to regulate them. The content of this program is not to be taken as investment advice. The opinions expressed in the program by the host and the guests are their personal opinions only. Remember, feel free to subscribe and share with like-minded friends. My name is Derek Graham. I'm the CEO of Portal Asset Management, and my co-host is Nitin Gower, Managing Director of State Street Digital Assets. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world, and welcome along to another episode of Beyond Bitcoin. Of course, my name is Derek Graham, and I'm here with my friend and colleague, as normal, my great friend, Nitin Gower. Hello, Nitin. Hey, Derek. Glad to be here again another week, and looks like you're back after your global tours and globetrotting. Love to hear more about this as a summary of what you've observed being on two different continents and, and four different countries. Yeah, look, I am back in the land of Oz. It's so important to travel regularly to get an understanding that systems, processes, people's attitudes, sentiment, questions, knowledge base varies from country to country and certainly varies on the upside in many cases to this gorgeous land of Oz. So, so here's the thing. Here's what I was wanted to actually cover today, Derek. And curious, right? Because I completely agree. I think traveling opens your mind. You have all these conversations. You have different sentiments, different perspectives from different parts of the world because they have they're impacted with the economy and they're impacted with the investment thesis and they're thinking differently, right? Cultures mm-hmm. dictate our perspectives and who we are. Between Europe and Asia, what is the central theme in your conversation that you've observed? The in investor sentiments, what are, what are the things? And what are they really after? Mm. Because lion's share of this year's conversation has been, of course, ETF and SEC and enforcement actions. Mm-hmm. But we have somehow forgotten the crux of the business, of why we are here. Like, you know, what is the disruption? So love to share share that summary with us, share, share that experience. And some of the notable conversations that you've had in the 70 plus people you've met during your trip. Yeah. Yeah, certainly. So, so firstly, the knowledge base of digital assets varies from country to country and group to group, but generally it's much higher than what I experience here in Australia. The knowledge base of this in Switzerland is, is high and they commingle it with their discussions on economics. I'm so impressed with Singapore, an amazing city, um, you know, amazing people. The number of people that I've met that are individuals, husband and wives, small family officers that have knowledge of this space, engage in it and have this simply as a sector of their investment portfolio. In other words, it's an alternate sector, yet there they are as people deeply involved with it. That is just great. And, you know, look, it's not a sudden revelation because I've visited Singapore many times. It is an impressive city, but it's always good to see the reinforcements of that. Now, in Australia, the sort of purveyors of doom tend to be yeah. the fixed income industry. They love it. Doom means capital inflow. And so of course. they're all discussing it on a constant <laughs> basis. Right. Yeah. And, and I get to chat to family offices here and they're hooked into this discussion of doom. And, and I want to go through you and I discussed earlier on some sort of juxtapositions that so on an alternative view on this that I've been also getting as I've been traveling. 
And that is Alex Kruger has done from Kruger Assets have done quite an interesting review of assets. Fantastic, yeah. Yeah. And so he's turned around and said, look, there's plenty of data points indicating that there's a recession coming, like the yield curve inversion, you know, the inflation concerns, you know, stocks currently being expensive on a historical basis. But what he's turned around and done is made a couple of easy statements to make. And one of them is this recession has been the most widely predicted and expected recession in history. We've been talking yeah. about this recession for two and a half years. <laughs> True. And, and uh, the uh, markets uh, aren't mm. showing it, are they? No, it's not. It's the strangest thing, Derek, because I I also looked at the threat and I also looked into, you know, we've talked about decoupling. Is Bitcoin mm. really decoupled? Mm. Because after Bitcoin's mm. hitting 30,000, the question was that is market, you know, and again, it's been 15 months since the feds have done very aggressive hawkish sort of in you know interest rate hikes to curb the inflation we've talked about recession for almost a year and a half now and it's like the widely accepted and it's still on the horizon and we've seen enough challenges in the banking system in the US and globally there's been some tr- stress stress we're bouncing back from this there's a hope but then you still have the asset pricing, there's still inflationary pressures, there's job market data. It's really out of whack. And I also read Noel Acheson, who is one of the researchers from X Coinbase, and she now has her own consultancy, who talks about global macro and looks into relationship of, of crypto is more mostly Bitcoin in that context. And she doesn't agree or she doesn't yet think that Bitcoin is completely decoupled. It's still the risk on risk off asset narrative mm. that we're going through. So I find it super interesting too. And none of this really makes sense. And what I'm love to hear from you, Derek, is the sentiments between Switzerland, only because it's not it's an overbanked country. Everybody has, you know, it's all about banking and insurance. The entire Zurich is all about banking and insurance in every corner. And in fact, they have quarters, banking quarter, insurance quarters. And then you have Singapore, which are prudent Asian thinking behind long-term, you know, thinking behind the whole Chinese, the Indian, and, and the Asian yes. thinking behind this. Yes. Do you see any contrast in that thought process as they view this industry? And I mean, crypto in general? Okay. So, so yes, Switzerland has two and a half thousand banks in that little country. So yes, it is certainly overbanked. And I remember one saying that, you know, I'm, I'm meeting with bankers over here in, in Switzerland. And the, the person said, of course. Like, what else do you come here for? So, so, but also I met with banks to discuss platforms in Switzerland, digital asset groups in London and accredited investors in Singapore. So that's a bit of a difference in cross-section of groups, but around each one of them, they were all discussing, you know, when is the recession coming or is the recession coming? And they generally had a positive view on it versus just this doomsayer view on it. And and it, look, it's interesting to look at the numbers. You know, markets are forward predicting numbers. They're, they're, yeah. they're, they're groups that are showing sentiment of opinion. No matter how much the narrative might be in the press and media, the markets show the real view of the whole thing. And I can't help but turn around and say, you know, as of last week, you know, I did some checking year to date, the S&P 500 is up 15%. Ethereum is up 58% and Bitcoin is up 87.5%. 
No, that doesn't sound like a quarter leading into a recession to me, it's assuming that we're talking about forward-seeking markets. One of the other interesting things that you know, Alex Kruger talks about is he, is he talks about that, you know, the fact that you know, artificial intelligence is coming and the prediction is that that's going to buy some one and a half percent and as seven and a half percent. So maybe we're also seeing a bit of artificial intelligence buzz in the market, forward predicting marketplace. You know, I, I wondered what everyone's opinion was in regards to is there a recession coming? To 25% believe the recession is coming. So, so Derek, help me understand this. As you were in Europe and you went in Asia, I just want to understand the perception and how do investors view or how do people you've spoken to view the impact of inflation, impact of perceived and uh, you know, predictive elements around recession on the investment thesis in crypto industry? And, and again, given the fact that Switzerland and, and Europe have a different thinking different theses, different cultural elements, as opposed to Singapore, which is, you know, more conservative, more forward-looking, long-term perspective as Asians would have. Love mm. to understand, is there a common theme? Do you find them taking this in stride and resonate with what Alice Kruger and, and Noel essentially talk about in their sort of Twitter threads? So I'll pause here and love to get your thoughts on that, Derek. Yeah. Well, I've got to say, across the board, the attitude towards future investment tends to be progressive. And that's a really encouraging thing. In Australia, they're very conservative here. So as we discussed earlier on, the, the doomsdayers of, of, of the industry going forward, which are the purveyors of fixed income, are getting big inflows at the moment. And there's a lot of cash getting put into the market. I'm not hearing the same stories when I'm visiting Switzerland mm -hmm. and Singapore. So, so look, you and I have just looked at Alex Kruger's recent sort yeah. of juxtaposition, their counter, counter view on the market. He's not contrarian just for contrarian sake. He raises some really interesting points. And, and I think some of those points might sort of, you know, play out what people are thinking here too. And that is that, yes, there's data points to show true recession coming, you know, such as the yield curve inversion, inflation being a genuine concern, yeah. Stocks are currently historically expensive. But on the other hand, you know, US markets, all markets are forward looking predictors. That's what they do. They're forward looking predictors. Whatever happens with press, media, discussion should reflect in that if it's what is going on. Yet the markets, in fact, have progressed extremely well. So if you look year to date, the S&P 500 is up 15%. NASDAQ's up 30%, ETH's That's up right. 58%, Bitcoin's up 87%, by the way, with a correlation of 0.26, which is its lowest level since December 21. We are seeing a, you know, a market that's not predicting a recession, despite the fact that we've been talking about a recession for what, one and a half, two years, you know, maybe more. It's considered to be the longest recession discussion in history. And it hasn't ever, ever, and it <laughs> ever. hasn't yet arrived. So, so I, I think a little bit out like our view of the SEC, we're starting to get bored with it. We're starting to move on, and and I think this is what a lot of these banks that are talking about bringing us onto their platform and other things such as that uh, are doing too. And of course, as I said before, when I meet with people in Singapore, they're so forward-looking. 
you know, they're actually planning for alternatives to be in, in their portfolios and, and have exposure to certain sectors, of their portfolio to certain asset classes. Just really impressive. I, I've got to say, superb to visit and impressive to meet these people. So let me ask this. Do you think there's this fatigue with, which is what I experienced in Dubai when I met a bunch of folks in Dubai, we had this intellectual conversation in terms of, hey, where is the next quantum returns that you can achieve? Because, you know, most of the investors there were tired of equities and bonds and fixed income, and there were some predictable elements around the whole thing. And they begin to look crypto as new asset class has the potential of truly exponential sort of growth and mm. uh, you know and 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 a lot of money began to flow in that early days that thing paused whether it's regulatory risk or a lot of you know 2022 fiasco that we had with the 3ac and and the ftx and so on and so forth so i'm just wondering that do you think that there's a fatigue that you yes you have inflation and maybe the next few cycles from fed hikes have factored in they've been priced into the asset pricing models and and in many cases, you begin to look into, again, the risk on risk off elements. We begin to see some sign of inflation receding, not fast enough. And so there's a sense that things are going to be okay going forward. At the same time, there's a concern, which is the Bitcoin concern. And the, the entire community of Bitcoin keeps talking about the government debt and the central bank debt and the inability and ability of central bank to actually have have sort of injection of this massive capital that has led to the inflation, this, the, the stage we're in, and now they're backtracking it. What I wanted to actually understand is, is there a uh, is there questioning of this in your travels? Is there a hope that some of the fundamentals that crypto industry brings to the table is quite different? And not only it provides a competing narrative of a alternative asset class investment, which provides an hedge against some level of diversification compared to what they have seen with this old monotonous asset classes that they've been investing over time. And they have a choice between crypto and VC. VC, again, is a whole different you know, risk metric. And they view crypto as liquid enough. Is that the thinking? Is anyone questioning crypto's sort of presence? What is it? You know, Has anybody talked about its utility killer mm. application that's been coming up a lot. Always. Love to see w- what was that chat about? Gosh, Nitin, so many questions there. So, so, so firstly, I get the sense that the recession discussion has been going so long now that there's a, there's a degree of fatigue. And the fatigue is, let's just get on with it. Let's just get on with planning the future, investing in the future and move on. So that's yeah. number one in regards to my sense in, of recession. Number two is when they look at cryptocurrencies and crypto assets, the bankers, of course, have so much data that they have to cope with in their life. You know, they're running equities, bonds, futures, you know, all sorts of indices. This is a complicated environment. They don't have the time to be right across a space like this. What they have worked out is the old 60% equities and, and 40% bonds no longer is a formula that works. So they've worked that out and, and their view of alternatives now is expanding. So, so we in the world of digital assets fit into alternatives. I think there's a bigger appetite for alternatives than there has been for many, many years due to the 60-40 position no longer proving to be effective. So that's number one. So now they narrow down into these alternatives 
and into crypto assets and they start asking questions, fairly traditional ones. And the very first question they ask Nitin is what's the silver bullet in this space? In other words, what's the killer app? Because they've seen it with ChatGPT and human nature loves a singular thing. If you deliver them a complex economic system, they get to absorb that over a period of time. If you deliver them a silver bullet, they pick it up and they go, aha, I see. So there's a question. What do you think the killer app is in this space? Or is the killer app the infrastructure that makes the space work? No, I'm happy to, and again, Derek, we all, both in terms of device, you know, devising a thesis or looking into this entire new space and what are the metrics in terms of what gives token its value. We've always asked this question, age, age old question over and over, yes. over again for every single project that we that we that you looked into. And I think that at the very fundamental level, blockchain, again, we've always equated blockchain to what internet has done for information. Blockchain will do things for things of value. So at the end of the day, I view DLT and blockchain-led economy as, you know, it is an infrastructure. It allows us to be able to move value across the world. That itself is so all the infrastructure projects, Bitcoin being one of them, is an infrastructure. Many of them are also instruments. So Bitcoin is an instrument, which is a product of the infrastructure. And it allows us to move value seamlessly at lower cost. And then you have the insights, which is what I call the moniker of three eyes, is infrastructure, which allows us to be able to build this massive layer for processing transactions, uh, which gives birth to instruments. So Bitcoin is an instrument, Ethereum is an instrument, and all the ERC-20 tokens, these are ecosystem built on top of the instrument, is an instrument. And then, of course, which we haven't spoken, which will be your chat GPT question is, all this generates a lot of data. Can we build systems that can consume the data and have a self sort of correcting actions to, which is what most of the DeFi protocols are doing, is looking into and and the markets reach equilibrium because of the data. So infrastructure, instruments, and insights is how I viewed the industry. And I, th I would think that, you know, again, uh, this is an interesting week, Tarek, because NFTs which at one at its peak was the highest and it's most of NFTs, including the Board Ape Yacht Club, has locked 90% of its value. It to me, is it was seen to be a killer app, but I think to me, Bitcoin, Ethereum, and many of the DeFi pro pro protocols are in itself, the evolution of them are killer app in itself. Mm -hmm. So ChatGPT, again, is a great example. It didn't happen overnight. We, we've been The industry has been there on, on me included, when I was at IBM, we were we were spending a lot of time on large language models and looking into what they call general knowledge, which is ability for us to have a conversation like me and you are having on varied topics. As different from being an expert system, it took the industry about 14 plus years to get to chat GPT. Uh, and it needed evolution from hardware, from software, from data. Yes. And I think that to me, Bitcoin itself is a killer app. In its own right, it does. It provides infrastructure. It has an incentive economic system. It is a store of value. It has the ability to move assets. So I'll pause there. But I would I'd love to hear what you mentioned and what is the reaction from the audience that you spoke to. So their hunger to understand, you know, the tokenomics of how each different token and each different sector works is quite obvious and very encouraging. Their challenge is the overlay of equities to the marketplace. 
And that is they're looking at equities or they're looking at banks as how they're going to value appraise or understand this space. So if you look at the centralized banking system as a payment system in which you do all the time, is it identical to a decentralized payment system? Is it got exactly the same metrics? I think it's different. It has the same outcome and that's the transference of money at, and value at speed, but it does that somewhat differently. So by example, an obvious one is that the transference of an investment across the world in a security token, be it a house, a commercial property or stock, isn't something that the bank does on its payment rails. Yet in this particular space, it can occur. What are your thoughts there? Because this is something that traditional investors are trying to overlay traditional banking onto this space and they overlay it thinking this space is one giant payment gateway. Yeah. So, you know, I've opined a lot on NFT space and the use cases and how they're emerging, including a whole slew of Web3O and, you know, but, but you're absolutely right. I think finding an avenue for us to, whether we are looking at native crypto value assets, which is Bitcoin and Ether, because they are they are product of crypto economic systems, which is mining and minting and proof of stake, which defines, which fuels the network because it's an incentive economic system that allows and attracts, again, people, talent, capital to this ecosystem. Mm. And then you have the secondary and tertiary use cases, which is trying to induce value. So NFT was one way to say, let's be the first. And hopefully this will reach the magnitude of Bitcoin and we'll be able to monetize this. And that lasted for so long till people really realize like, what am I really doing with this? So there was a whole NFT movement where every day we would have hundreds of NFTs and there was a massive craze. And so there's a whole, this class of new assets to say, hey, we can tokenize this and this has this economic value. And, and the industry, including myself, spend a lot of time in understanding tokenomics, what gives token its value, yes. whether it's limited supply, but is this supply artificially constrained because at the end of the day, these are digital assets and I can create as many tokens as I want to. What is the entity that governs the limited supply? What is the utility of a token? What is the developer ecosystem that's, that is attracting again, talent and eventually capital in form of software, in form of hardware, in form of keeping the network alive. We begin to look at those elements. Or if you happen to be a, a DeFi ecosystem, which is sitting on an existing established you know, economic system like Ethereum, for example, or what we've seen with ordinals on, on Bitcoin, we begin to see a sense of value creation to say, if today you have a settlement instrument, which is your analogy, Derek, of payment and payment gateways, then if I'm accumulating the settlement instruments, I'm accumulating value. And that value needs to be invested, which means that I need to find someone who can, who is willing to borrow it from me for something of value. You begin to then create secondary markets where you can, I can borrow and lend, and you begin to shape this notion of financial primitives, and a healthy market is born. And these new markets, as opposed to humans managing it, I'm looking at the data, on-chain data, to manage the balance, which provides the value, which provides the demand supply curves that gives a token its value. So from that context, Derek, I'm with you on this. I think that if we were to look at what we you know, when we start the journey, it is a value ecosystem. So if you're not moving value and you're moving JPEGs, unless someone has an intrinsic belief in the JPEG system and value like anything else is a, is a, is a, is a belief metric, you're simply moving bits, which we can do that with the internet. There's no real inherent need 
for a transaction system like blockchain per se. So look, I'm going to be a defender of NFTs for a moment, you know, why not take a contrarian view oh my when the God. market's dropped 90%, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Firstly, I think the name should be thrown out. I think it's time I agree. to get rid of this non-fungible token name. It's irrelevant. I know that you're a big fan of, of Taylor Swift and, and that, you know, you, you, you were queuing to buy tickets, Nitin. <laughs> I was huge fan. And once I learned that she just lied about the FTX, that just I'm not oh, a big fan anymore. No. Hey, by the way, as a side view, she's coming to Singapore and there was a big buzz in Singapore. Singapore's a population of six and a half million people on that little island. They sold 20 million tickets indicating that wow. Indonesia, Malaysia, Hong Kong, all tried to fly down there to, to visit her. So I thought that was fascinating. Let's reverse back. You know, the world of tickets is the world of non-fungible tokens. You know, a smart ticket group now like Ticket Tech, et cetera, can deliver non-fungible tokens, has done so already, apparently 10 million of them they've delivered. And those non-fungible tokens are capable of giving Taylor Swift goers or other attendees of artists, artists, the ability to get credits, the ability to get early information or access to new artists, the ability to be part of that environment. I think that we often overly focus on the visual of the pixelation relating to what someone has bought a non-fungible token. What they're really buying in many cases is they're buying a club membership to get in and get access to artists to get access to sort of the environment that gives them a right to buy things, be involved with things and share with others. The future of NFTs around this space, I believe is going to see a lot more of that view of what are the advantages of me being a member of this club, so to speak, a little bit like frequent flyers on steroids. They're no longer to be interested in so much in the pixelated tag or the ticket face that yeah. they'll get. It's my thoughts. What are your thoughts on that? No, no, I, I agree. And I just think that, you know, the, the difference between digitizing a ticket or digitizing a pass, a club pass that gives you repeated access to a lounge or a backstage, I don't know what we've really solved. I mean, is that really moving value? Because I can, I still have secondary markets. Ticketmaster has secondary markets. NFL has secondary markets. I can go and sell my tickets there. It doesn't excite me, Derek. I, I, I know I'm, I'm with the with the movement to say, yeah, we got tokenize everything else. But I'm like, what have we really solved? Because I can do that with Apple Apple Pay. You, if you have a pass on Apple Pay, you can share that with your with your you know family and friends, and and you can pass that on. I, I just don't know what that really solves. What's interesting to me, and we've had some touch upon this point with with Wallcoiner, is ability to treat my identity as a non-fungible token, which is unique and it's of value, mm -hmm. uh, which is tied to my credit scores, which is tied to my healthcare records, which is unique because it's mine and it can, only, it can always be mine and it's not exactly fungible like other tokens. That's the use case we had envisioned, which gives you the power to monetize it, ability for you to lend your healthcare data to clinical trials or for yes. healthcare analysis and, and people paying you because that you own the data. And I would like to actually, at some point, touch upon threads. So while Meta, Meta, which was the parent company of Facebook, has not done really anything with their bunch of failed attempts to get into Metaverse, they launched threads, which is a Twitter. And suddenly it had made Mark Zuckerberg cool again. 
which I thought was interesting because enough complaints from Twitter sphere to Elon and his sort of autocratic rule around what he wants, what he had envisioned Twitter to be. So threads attracted about a hundred million people in a week since it's how, how did it do that? Ninny? How, how did it do that? hundred million people in a week. How did it do that? Well, for one, it had captive, right? Because you have Instagram, you have WhatsApp and you have Facebook. So you already have a captive audience and it's yes. easier to say, okay, if you are, have a Facebook, you can log into the Facebook account. So the barriers to entry became much lower. Mm. You don't have to do much. You simply click, click on and pass on your identity information and you had a, you had a profile. Second thing is that there's been a lot of discontent, whether it's political or whether it's change of guard on Twitter. Mm. And Twitter is very active. In fact, I, I, I became hooked on a Twitter just recently only because of a lot of, especially during FTX time, because you would get real-time information mm-hmm. on Twitter and you had people who, are, who knew, who were close to the situation, who would give you real information than the mainstream media. So mm-hmm. I could get a lot of information on Twitter and Telegram, which was real-time and it was real information, as opposed to a watered-down and a, and a journalist perspective on some of these articles, which didn't really make any sense for the industry that we serve and the vantage point that we have of the industry per se. Yeah. So what they have done, and it's not so exciting that Meta has done this because I just am not a huge fan of Facebook and what it's done to to dissemination of misinformation and disinformation per se. But what's interesting about this is that it introduced threads, but I learned a new term called Fediverse. I don't know if you heard oh, of yeah. the term Fediverse. I no. had not heard of Fediverse when <laughs> I started reading about this stuff. Like, because I want to understand how is this technically different? So I went down the technical path and I also begin to now, you know, go down the rabbit hole of something called Activity Pub, which is Activity Publication, which is a pub sub messaging protocol that is a Web3 consortium. And that was interesting to me because I've always looked into as to if you're an Uber driver, how do you transfer your reputation that you've built in seven years if you want to shift from Uber to Lyft? You mm. don't have to start all over again. You have it's like your resume, which is essentially mm. it's mm. your your stars are your star, your comments are your comment. And Activity Pub lets you, lets these sort of ecosystem to be able to share the data, which means that it's very much in theme of Web3.0, where you own your data, you own your profile, and you should be able to sort of take your data and your profile, and you can post these things at multiple platforms at the same time, giving you the flexibility, freedom, and ownership. Of course, if I close Mm. my thread, thread account, the data that's in thread still remains of, you know, a part of the meta empire, but mm. I still have a avenue to take it with me to a different platform. Mm-hmm. I think that's powerful. And, you know, basically activity pub at technical level, it's a worldwide web, by the way, still exists a consortium, which defines the standards of how we do things on the, on the internet. And it allows for different services who follow the same protocol to speak to each other. So you could have threads, you could have Twitter, you could have Mastodon. Mastodon was something which was a response to Twitter to have a decentralized version of it. And it lets user control the data and it lets user take the data, list of accounts they follow and so on and so forth from one service to another service. While not tokenized, that was the thinking of Web3.0. And I go back to my assertion, Derek, on the killer app conversation is, what are we really solving for? Because if something like Activity Pub gives me the power to control my data, have access to all my connections, move it to wherever any other platform at, of my choosing, mm-hmm. then at the end of the point, I do ask what is of value here? And at that point, the killer app to me is 
Bitcoin, Ether, DeFi, these are truly things of value that I'm transacting globally with global audiences. And taking that technology is what the industry that I'm working now, which is traditional finance, is attempting to tokenize your ETFs and money market funds and bonds only because they see transactional efficiency in that space. That to me is killer app. Still financial services primitives, but I'm taking that at a whole new level, creating bigger markets, creating more liquidity. I mean, I could go on for for hours on this topic, but but I hopefully agree. be able to answer this for for the audiences we meet. Is that yeah. is that is the killer app? That's right. I agree. The killer apps is right in front of us right at the moment. Doesn't mean to say that this space won't uncover other killer apps as it progresses, but the killer apps is is essentially payment systems and and as you say, financial primitives. The world of digital as digital assets and digitally algorithm driven payment solutions. So if you were to come to me and say, hey, Derek, look at this space here, I've got something that can, you know, reduce the inefficiencies of centralized banking systems worldwide. Here it is. Wouldn't you say that's a killer app? The answer is, of course, it's a killer app. <laughs> it's just not one single application. It's it's a, a realm of applications in the world of True. decentralized finance. Yeah. Absolutely. And my, my narrative on killer app, who's trying to kill it? If you have more people trying to kill it, that's a killer app. Because <laughs> that's obviously... <laughs> well, then it's... <laughs> decentralized finance is definitely a killer app. There's no question about that. True. Oh, dear. True. All right. Well, great, great, great week it was traveling. You're traveling next week. Where are you off to? I'm off to Frankfurt. There is an event. It's called DST, which I think is Digital Security Tokenization, which is more towards, again, how is the DeFi and, and CFI converging in this brave new world of tokenization. So it's mostly a combination of DeFi folks and the traditional finance folks coming together, trying to understand the space better, both from economic terms, technology terms, but also in terms of business model terms, because it certainly is disruptive. So I'm going to spend a week in, in Germany, looking forward to it, Derek, now that I'm inspired by your travels and uh -huh. envious a little bit, I would say. And so that's next week. And then after that, I have yeah. to go to New York. So it's next few weeks is, will be interesting for my travel as well, but I'm looking forward to it because uh, it's a true, it's the best money you can spend on tuition is travel. You learn yeah. a lot in the process and I'm looking forward to that. Very true. Okay. I'm very keen to hear how you go with that, what Germany's view is in regards to crypto assets and, and the market moving forward and what's happening in New York too. That's a great span. And, and it also an all, a great way of you adding to your frequent flyer points, which by now must be at a certain level where you could buy maybe a small condominium somewhere. <laughs> we should look into that, Derek. Maybe we can tokenize it someday and, and sell it in an open market. Uh, <laughs> very good. All right. Okay. I'll see you next week. Bye for good now. Good Derek. Take care. Bye. We hope you enjoyed our weekly conversation. If you have any questions, comments, or suggested topics, please contact Nitin Gower or myself on the emails displayed here or via our LinkedIn profiles. Feel free to subscribe and share with like-minded friends. Stay well, inquisitive, and engaged. See you next week.